0: Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. So uh, this afternoon, uh, Travis is going to drive me down to St. Louis and tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., after going to Waffle House, because we don't have those, going to Waffle House at 4.30 in the morning for breakfast, we're going to set in at 6 um, near Granite City, Missouri, no- north of St. Louis, and float all the way to the Gulf. And it uh, should take about 30 days, all 30, and uh, we're going through the, oh, you'll, you'll love this. So I was trying to find out what the water levels are doing in the swamp area we're going to go down. And so I call this DNR guy in Louisiana. And he goes, how can I help you? And I said, well, I wanted to see what the water levels are like in that Atchafalaya area. And he said, blank Yankees. It's Atchafalaya, Atchafalaya. And I'm like, I'm only passing through, sir. I'm only passing through. So anyhow, but you can follow that trip on Facebook at Expedition S2S, the letter S, the number two, the letter S. And you can also catch us on Instagram. Uh, we'll be posting every day and kind of updating you. And uh, that's my boat on the Jeep out there. That's what I'm going to make the whole trip in, Twelve, about 1,200 miles. So pray for us. And uh My wife's going to meet me at the end. We found a park on the gulf that has showers. (laughs) So, I I know I smell bad after like a week and a half on the river without showering at all because Mark Krukenberg came out to see me on a sandbar last year when I was finishing up, and his eyes watered. (laughs) And he was a hog farmer for 30 years, and I think I, I shocked him. So anyhow boy, we appreciate your prayers all right so about three thousand years ago God made his people a promise he made a promise to King Solomon about restoring and healing God's people and it's a promise that still stands today because it's a promise made by God to his people and it's a promise made on principle to all of his people and this is one of the most one of the most uh Important and well known promises in scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And I'm going to have you circle three words as we go into this. This is really important that you get this. Sometimes we go, I don't know why God doesn't answer my prayer. We're going to talk about that today. I may be able to explain some of that and help you out here. All right, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Then, circle this word, if, if, My people who are called by my name will humble themselves, all right, circle the if again, here we go again, if they will pray and seek me and stop their evil ways, I'm going to insert a word just for context here, then, so if, if, then I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will, circle this word, heal, heal their land. All right, introduction. God made his people a promise. And I want to point out a couple of things as we start breaking that verse down here. Uh, because a lot of people completely misunderstand this verse and they misunderstand how God works in prayer. All right, A, the promise isn't for everyone. That promise is not for everyone. God says, if. My people who are called by my name. This is a promise to who? God's people. It's not a promise for people who are not God's people. Now, who are the people of God? Jesus actually addressed this. As some of you, I'm about to make your head go, all right, watch this. Matthew 12. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd... His mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now, let's stop right there for a second. Some of you don't realize Jesus had brothers and sisters. Jesus had siblings. Here goes your brain, all right? Gee, especially if you're raised in Catholic. I'm about to shock you. All right. I'm about to blow your mind, all right? Jesus had half siblings. They were half siblings because they did not share the same dad. <laughs> right? God fathered Jesus miraculously. Then after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary, by the way, who were married did married things. Do I need to get the crayons out? All right. (laughs) Crayons. Mary was a virgin at the time of the birth of Jesus. But Mary was not a permanent virgin. Okay? She, we'll go King James, knew Joseph. All right. Now, Two, by the way, two of his half-brothers wrote letters that are in the New Testament, James and Jude. Those were, those were half-brothers of Jesus. All right, now, verse 47. We're still going to keep blowing your head here. All right, someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and want to speak to you. So Jesus is about to teach a lesson about what it means to be a part of his family. So he disregards that his mom and half-brothers are outside and he talks to the crowd. Now, something you've got to understand, his half-siblings did not believe he was the Messiah until the resurrection. So you ever have sibling rivalry at your house? Can you imagine being the little brother of the only perfect brother to ever live? Why did you be like Jesus? Man, you know, why did you be like your big brother? So you've got some just natural rivalry that's just going to roll in there. So they don't believe that he's anything special other than mom's favorite until the resurrection. All right, so he turns to the crowd and he continues teaching. Verse 48, Jesus asked, rhetorical question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who, circle this word, does what is to do? It's an action, it's a verb, right? Anyone who actively performs the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. And again, at that time, you to remember, his half-siblings did not believe he was Messiah. All right, so here's the question. He says, anyone who does the will of my Father. So your question for you today right now is, have I done the will of my Father? Have I done the will of God? See, the Father said to welcome the Son. And if you have not accepted Christ as the Messiah and committed your life to him, you are not welcoming the son and you are not a follower of Christ and you are not a part of the family of God. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus says that. If you have accepted Christ, if you have chosen to follow him and learn from him, then you are in the family of God. So this verse we're looking at is a promise to you for healing and for restoration. Alright, let's go to B. The promises for those willing to be called by his name. Hey, have you ever been you ever been embarrassed to identify yourself as a Christ follower? Oh, I have lots of times. Because of my peers. You ever feel like if you're gonna tell somebody you're a Christ follower, you have to point out someone else to go, but not like them? I know I I am a Christ follower. I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those. I'm not one of the wing nuts. I'm not. Yeah, sometimes other people follow Christ so badly, we feel like we need to put a disclaimer on on, on our statement that we're claiming. That's really weird. But you know, one of the challenges you and I have today is that everybody has become so bold about their political beliefs. It's such a weird time to be alive where you have people cheering the murder of unborn children and then crying for safe spaces because someone used the wrong pronoun. What in the world has happened to us? And through all of that, God's people don't say a word and nobody even knows we're Christ followers. We want to do it from the closet. Look at Mark chapter 8 verse 38. Don't be ashamed of me and my message among these unfaithful and sinful people. Here, underlined to the end. This is really important you get this. If you are ashamed of me and my message among these unfaithful and sinful people, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words, you hide and deny Christ here. Christ denies you later. That's scary stuff. I don't want that for any any of you in our adventure family. All right, here's the next thing. C, the fulfillment of any biblical promise always has conditions. Always has conditions. Listen, with every promise, there is a premise. Every promise has a premise. There is always a condition. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do that, then I will do that. If you don't do this, then I won't do that. If this happens, then this happens. Now, listen to the text again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they will pray and seek me and stop their evil ways, then, see, there's the, there's the caveat, If they do these two things, then I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now, God God puts four conditions for healing and restoration in my life. I don't know what you need to have healed in your life. I don't know what you need to have reconciled or restored in your life. Maybe you need your body restored. I mean, let's admit it. We're all a day older than we were yesterday, right? And I notice that each morning hurts a little bit more than the morning before it. Maybe you need your marriage healed. Maybe you need your children restored. Maybe you need your finances restored. Maybe you need your dream and your passion restored. God says, I can restore all of that according to my overall will for you. But before I do that, I need something from you. If this, then I'll do this. All right, here we go. Condition number one. I admit I'm not in control. I admit I'm not in control. One of my favorite verses from Proverbs, this is not in your notes, if you want to read it later, it's Proverbs 19, verse three. Proverbs 19, verse three. People ruin their lives by their own stupidity and then rage at God. (laughs) I love that verse. You see, what we've got to do to meet the first condition is we admit that we're powerless. We admit that life has got under control. This is known as condition number one or step one. one. Some of you know this step. Some of you need to figure this step out. (laughs) Now listen, what's that called? What's that step called? That step is called humility. That's what it is, it's humility. It's a confession. God is still God and I am still not. I mean, humility is the first step to healing. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. By the way, do you know the Bible never tells you to pray for humility? Nowhere in the Bible does it say you need to pray for humility. You know why it never tells you to pray for humility? Because humility is just a choice you need to make. There's nobody stopping you from making that choice but you. Humility is something you do yourself. God doesn't do it to you or for you. You do it. Humility is a choice. So instead of saying pray for humility, it just says choose to humble yourself. You say, well, all right, what does humility look like? I'm so glad you asked. I made a starter list of 10 things. There's, there could be hundreds on this list, but I've just made 10, all right? Here we go, number one. Humility confesses sin to God the moment it realizes it. So when I realize I have sinned, I stop and I ask for forgiveness and I do my best to fix whatever it is I just did. Number two, humility forgives others quickly. Because it knows it has been forgiven. And it knows it's got to be a conduit for passing on forgiveness. Three, humility doesn't retaliate when treated unfairly. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Hey, can I tell you something? Bitterness is the first sign of self deception you have any trouble, bitterness is the first sign of self-deception de- self because when you become bitter, you've already started listening to your own lies about what happened. You know, when Jesus stood before Pilate during his trials, right before his crucifixion, he was standing before Pilate. He was charged with insurrection. He was charged with trying to overthrow Rome. You know what Jesus said in his defense? Nothing. He just absorbed the attack. He knew it wasn't true. And he remained quiet. I'll tell you what, I learned some wisdom from a friend years ago. He said, your friends will never need an explanation and your enemies will never accept one. That's the reality of it. So humility doesn't retaliate when treated unfairly because honestly, it is what it is. It doesn't change reality. Number four. Humility looks for ways to serve others without expectation of repayment. Five, humility is respectful of authority, even if you don't currently agree with it. Six, humility picks up trash whenever it finds it. Seven, humility leaves a public restroom cleaner than it found it. Eight, humility models dependency on God. Nine, humility speaks well of others and never uses put-downs. Ten, humility prays for those who hate me. Those are just a few examples of thousands. And listen, that, just those ten things, that is a hard way to live. I mean, who in their right mind would choose that? People who realize humility is a bigger deal to God than anyone else understands. Humility matters. When we choose humility, God chooses to do some things in our life. All right, B, let's keep going. What is the benefit of humility? Let me give you four things God will do in your life if you work on choosing humility and putting it into play. Number one, if I'm humble, God will guide me. Psalm 25, God guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. You say, well, I don't know what God's will for me is. Humble yourself. I mean, you want to know God's will? It's not given to people who think they're going to control their own way. It's not given to people who think they're the smartest person in the world. It's not given to people who are looking for shortcuts. Humility invokes God's guidance. Number two, if I'm humble. God will bless me. Listen, this is repeated over and over and over and over again in Scripture, but here's just one example. Isaiah 66, God says, My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I am the Lord, excuse me, I the Lord have spoken. I will bless those who have what kind of hearts? Humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. Number three, if I'm humble, God will give me the power to change. I mean, the reality is the only way you're going to get changed is with the grace of God. Now, how do you get the grace of God in your life? How do you get God's grace to give you the power to change? James chapter 4. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace generously. To the humble, yeah. I mean, God opposes the proud. So every time I am prideful, I am on the opposite side of the issue from God. Anytime I am prideful, I'm boxing with God. (laughs) I got news for you. God's arms are longer than yours, right? Every time. But humility will let Let him guide me and allow me to be guided by him. Number four, if I'm humble, God will reduce my stress. Anybody else here have stress? I'm going to paddle through alligators in two weeks. I already have a little stress. I was dreaming about that last night. Matthew chapter 11. Then Jesus said, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He's saying, listen, I will take that stress off of you. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble, so I'm going to learn from the humble. And I'm gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Man, wouldn't you like to have Jesus carry your burdens for you? Gives you a lot of deep rest there, doesn't it? All right, condition number two. I ask God for help. A lot of us are good at this one. We just don't do it right. I mean, there have been times where the only prayer I could get out was, Help! Now, how do I ask God for help? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, pray. See, when I learn to ask God for help, I also learn that I'm not waiting on God. God has been waiting on me. He's been waiting on me to do my part. If this, then this. 20 times in scriptures, we are commanded to ask God in prayer. Many people ask God for healing for their body, their relationships, whatever, but they never take the time to understand that God has said, if this, then this. So let me give you some encouragement here. Why is it good for you to ask God? All right, A, Jesus tells me to ask. That's the big thing right there. Jesus says, ask me. Let's do this. Matthew 7. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Man, that ought to give you confidence. You can go to God. Whatever you got going on in life... You say, well, I don't know if I should pray for this or not. Jesus says, yeah, pray for it. It's his idea. Now, don't stop there. B. Jesus tells me to ask in his name. John 16. Truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. The problem is most of us see that we go, I can ask God for anything. And we don't do the in Jesus name part. Now, the other part of that is a lot of us have fallen into this stupid habit of thinking this, I pray in Jesus name is some kind of a magical incantation that if you throw it on the end of a prayer, God has to do it. Ha! gotcha. (laughs) You're trapped, God. I'm trapping you with your own words. You got to do what I said, because I said, in Jesus' name. (sighs) To ask something in Jesus' name does not mean that you put the trap phrase on the end of it to bind God into doing what you want it to do. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray. You don't even do you realize you don't even have to say the words in Jesus' name. I pray. You don't ever have to say them. it's not magical words. It's the attitude. It's the intent of your heart. So to pray in Jesus' name means to pray in line with God's will for you in the kingdom in your role in the kingdom. And it is also asking God to do whatever is right according to his will, even if it's the opposite of the anything that I'm asking for. You're saying, God, here's what I'm asking for, but if what is best is the exact opposite, okay. We don't do that, do we? You say, why in the world would someone pray that God would do the opposite of what we want him to do. Oh, believe me, that's so frustrating. I mean, God and I have talked many times where I've said to God in my prayer, God, if you just do what I tell you to do, this would be better. We could fix the whole world if you just listen to me, because you know, I'm smart. I'm the firstborn in my family, right? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying? There's always this picture. I can't remember who painted it. There's this picture of Jesus, and he's knelt down against this rock, you know, and he's praying. All the anguish. That's not what happened. Matthew 26. He was not sitting on a rock praying. (laughs) And Jesus went a little beyond them, so he left the disciples in the garden. This is just before he's arrested. He left them laying back there. He went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face. So his feet, his legs, everything just drops out from under him. He is face down on the ground, laying flat on the ground, praying in anguish. And he says, my father, if it is possible, here, underline all the way to the semicolon there. Let this cup pass from me. So Jesus is making a request. He knows what's coming the next day. He knows that the next day he is going to die. That just after this he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be scourged. He's going to have the flesh torn from him. His beard and his his hair are going to be torn out by the roots from angry people. He's going to be covered in spit. He's going to be nailed to a cross. And he's going to die a death up on the cross dehydration, heat, abuse, and everything, and he's actually asking God, uh, plan B? Can we do something different? I would prefer it. Go back to the text. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is making a request of God about the next day that God denied. So Jesus made a request. God said no. And yet we're not okay if God does that with us. But the thing about what Jesus prayed was, he said, God, this is what I want. However... I want to do what you sent me here for. That's what matters most to me. You say, well, but I just want God to I just want God to heal me. I just want God to make me better. I don't want to have to have these consequences going on. This is a story about Jacob, who Jacob was spoiled. Jacob was not spanked enough. I mean, I can't go into enough stuff about Jacob. And yet one night Jacob is running for his life. And he ends up, I mean, you heard the story of Jacob's ladder. He sees angels going up and down from heaven. Well, he ends up wrestling with this divine being. And at the end of the wrestling match, this divine being smacks him in the hip and does a major unalignment. <laughs> His hip is out of joint now and won't go back in. So from that on, Every day that Jacob takes a step, he has pain. He is reminded of the night he wrestled with God. Listen, sometimes there's stuff that's going to happen in your life that's going to plague you to the day you die. And the reason it's there is to remind you that you have wrestled with God, that God is your only resource that you've got to turn toward him and trust him. All right, see. Jesus said to have others ask with me. Matthew 18, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Listen, this is important. It doesn't have to be pastors that pray with you. Get a couple of your believing friends together and pray. Pray. I mean, one of the benefits of camaraderie and having people pray with you, people who know you, people who love you, is that when you're praying, your friends can look at you and go, is that really what you want? I mean, I know what we're praying for, but is that really, are we praying for the right thing here? Have you humbled yourself? Are you really willing to let God do whatever God wants to do with your life? Because it sure sounds like you're bossing him around. Sometimes we need to be kept accountable even in how we pray so that we are more certain to be willing to accept God's will to be done. You know, honestly, it helps knowing somebody else is praying with you because you know somebody else cares and you're not alone. All right, D., The Bible says to believe and expect an answer. Believe and expect an answer. James 5, such a prayer offered in faith, by the way, that is not naming it and claiming it. Thank God, I found this and you have to do this now. A prayer offered in faith has faith that God will do what is best, again, even if it's the opposite of what I want. Even if it's exactly what I'm praying not to have. Such a prayer offered in faith will, watch this, heal the sick, restore the situation, and the Lord will make you well. And this happened in almost every healing we saw Jesus do. If you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Why? Because your sin being forgiven is more important than your body being healed. Your body's temporary. It's running down anyhow. It's going to go away. There's no stopping that. But the, 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 the faith that's offered in prayer, or excuse me, the prayer that's offered in faith is telling God, I know you're going to do what's best. I know you're going to do what's best. E, keep praying until God tells you to stop. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers anywhere. You don't just say, okay, God, I'm going to mention this one and done. I said it to you, you know what? I've had people say, why do I have to pray? God already knows everything. Yeah, sometimes the reason we pray is because he wants us to see that we don't know everything. <laughs> he wants us to say it out loud. There's something when you have to vocalize it that changes how you look at it. But you just keep praying and you keep praying because God's timing is perfect. And you don't know when God's timing is. Sometime, sometimes God does a restoration quickly. Sometimes, you know, uh, it, it, it's instant. sometimes it's, it's after a little bit of time. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes you don't see it in this lifetime. At least you're unaware of what God did with it. But you just keep praying because you trust God is going to deal with it. Condition number three, seek God, not a miracle. It's okay to want a miracle, by the way. It's okay to want healing. It's okay to want restoration. But that's not what we seek. That's not the object. That's the byproduct. Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who, circle this word, earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek him. Let me paraphrase. If my people will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, not a miracle, not a sign, not a healing, not prosperity, not a thousand other gifts of God, but rather pursue the giver rather than the gift God will provide more than they can imagine. See, God's not a cosmic vending machine. You cannot force God to do what you want. And unfortunately, in America, we got a bunch of pastors who made millions of dollars telling people they can get whatever they want from God, and that's, that's bogus. That is not true. Too many Americans spend their time seeking the blessings of God, but not seeking the word of God, not seeking God himself. So when it says earnestly earnestly seek him earnestly means that we seek him with our whole heart. It's not an occasional interest. It's not a 911 call to God. It's not something they do when it's convenient and they have time or there's nothing else to do. It's not something they just, you know, they just do when they're in trouble. Seeking God earnestly is a way of life from sun up to sun, to sun down. Look at Psalm 142 uh, God looks down from heaven and searches the earth to see if there is even one among humankind who what? How? Earnestly seeks for him. What's he saying? He says, God's people don't even seek for God anymore. They want enough of him to get a blessing, but not enough of him to be changed, to be given a new series of priorities. Deuteronomy 4. But if... From there you seek the Lord God. You will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. By the way, Jesus reiterated that. Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So here's the if. If you seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, then all these things will be given to you as well. It's always an if this then this, if this, then this. Condition four. I must turn my focus from the world to the word. God says, I will take care of your needs. I will heal and restore. Again, I want something from you first. Second Chronicles 7:14. Again. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they will pray and seek me, and if they will stop what? Their evil ways. The Hebrew wording of this actually says, turn from their wicked ways. I find that. That's such a fascinating thing. I want to define the words turn and the word wicked for you. And I think we, we misunderstand this caveat, if this, then this. Let's start with the word wicked. So what do you think of when I say the word wicked? I mean, other than the Broadway play. When I say wicked, what do you think of? Most of yeah, most of us think of something that is this undisputed evil that other people do, right? Human trafficking, rape, uh, drug dealing, sexual abuse, genocide, murder, pornography, whatever. That's what we think of when we think of wicked. But how does the Bible define wickedness? According to the Bible, wickedness is simply forgetting God. So anytime I forget God, that's wicked. Ever have moments where you get so frustrated you say something you shouldn't say? That's forgetting God that's wickedness. Wickedness is not all those other things we just listed. Those other things, human trafficking, rape, murder, all those things, those aren't wickedness themselves. Those are the symptoms of wickedness. Wickedness is forgetting God. When we forget God, all that other stuff naturally produces itself. Isaiah 17, you have forgotten the God who saves you. That's wickedness. You have not remembered that God is your place of safety, not your own wisdom. And when we forget God, then all these other things we think of as wicked just start to appear in our lives and in our culture and in our society. Now, the word turn, where he says turn from their wicked ways. what he's actually saying is i want you to turn away from those distractions and bring your focus back to me so to focus on god is the exact opposite of wickedness wickedness forgets god and looks away to turn brings to come back you know at the birth of at the birth of the of the church in jerusalem the apostle peter was preaching to the crowd that day and i want you to understand something about that crowd that was a jewish crowd almost completely Jewish crowd. I mean, it was comprised largely of people who had grown up being taught to memorize scripture, who'd been taught to know God's ways, but not to really seek him earnestly. I mean, they're genetically Jewish. They're practicing cultural Judaism, which was just the minimum that made people feel good about what they were doing, but they weren't earnestly seeking God. They weren't spiritually following God. And here's what Peter said to them and and watch this in terms of the, if this, then this, if you do this, I'll do this. Watch Acts chapter three, verse 19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. So let's reread it. Now If you repent of your sins and turn to God, put your focus on God, then your sins may be wiped away. If you repent of your sins, you turn to God, then times of healing and restoration come from the presence of the Lord. I bet some of you need some healing. You need some restoration. You need some times of refreshment. Maybe in your marriage, in your family life, in your career. If, if I humble myself, if I seek God, then God promises and God keeps his promises. If this, then this. Let's pray father thank you so much for jesus and we thank you for the promises there, father we thank you that you really set it out you laid it out clearly for us if we do this right thing then this good thing follows but you also warned us if we do this bad thing then this worst thing follows father none of us want to think of ourselves as wicked And yet we forget you and we turn away from you every day, even if just for a moment. Father, may we turn away from our wicked things. May we turn away from those breaks where we we fail to think about you. We fail to look toward you. Father, may our faces seek your face today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.